Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Uh, and the game I'm bringing to the table today... <laughs> oh, we're just doing it, huh? Yeah, what, you want to talk about the weather? What do you want to do? I don't know. We do that sometimes. No, tell me about your we game. Do. <laughs> no, I'll talk about the weather. So right now it's like... I want to say foggy, <laughs> probably like low, low 50s, high 40s. Yeah. Um, it was yesterday. It was like 34 degrees in the morning. And then at night it was 60. So I had my heater on and I was like, why the heck is it so dang hot in here? I've been playing Doom Eternal. OK. Oh, uh, my I got God. Doom Eternal. Really? Yeah. I, uh, I wanted. So, you know, I think we've been in very very familiar territory very steven centric territory recently yeah um you know we've been talking i mean both of us i think you have in the history of the show you have come around to a lot of rpgs that historically would have been more my wheelhouse yeah but are now our wheelhouse but i think i wanted to keep things fresh and broaden my own horizons uh i did literally last episode after you said doom eternal and a list of xbox games say "Ooh, i want that so yeah. not a huge surprise yeah yeah, yeah. And honestly, I think this is a game that I that I originally had basically zero interest in. And honestly, like no joke, one of the selling points was the crossover Animal Crossing like memes that have just run about the advertising yeah. for both games. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and and I think the developers supporting that too. Like it wasn't even just like people on Twitter. It was like everyone who were making both games were like fully embracing that yeah, idea. Yeah, just to that, fill like, in a blank, um, Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing New Horizons came out on the same day. So there was like a lot of uh, there was a lot of like crossover advertising between. Yeah, Bio- is it Bioware or is it Bethesda? It's Bethesda. It's Bethesda. Be- yeah. Between Bethesda and Nintendo, just like kind of supporting each other's like absolutely wild wildly different games um the dichotomy yeah. of those two just like seeing isabel show up in doom ads <laughs> and awesome my my favorite is doom guy like with fire behind him and isabel's on his shoulder and she's saying rip and tear until it is done <laughs> yeah. uh, so good um and yeah. i and i you know i my my blind spot has always been shooting games in particular like very serious first person shooters you know yeah like, and I, I was drawn to this game because my roommate had uh, Doom 2016, which I heard great things about. He had it on the Switch, which is a great port. And I think they're porting Eternal eventually. It was supposed to come out the same day as the PS4 and, and the other platforms. Yeah. Bethesda's been very good about that this gen. Like, yeah. like the Wolfenstein games are on Switch already somehow, which is, yeah. I think, kind of wild that those made it there. The the first Doom is on there already. Um, and, and they're pretty committed to every game that they release uh, coming to yeah. Switch eventually, which is pretty great and they look good too and they play really well yeah the reason it got delayed for the switch is because the team who is like designing the port just wants to take their time with it and i think covid pushed things back so they're like we're committed to making this as good as possible because it is like a slightly higher budget than than doom 2016 was Mm -hmm. um anyway i i got it because i was really curious i'd heard great things and and it struck me as a game that was very self-aware. You know, I think like... Yeah, it totally is. Normally, you know, you have games like Call of Duty and, and uh, you know, like it, historically, like I want to say a lot of the major like FPS games like in the 2010s all kind of had that like, cof- as we said, the coffee filter, very gritty, very like self-serious. Yeah. And like that always pushed me away. I think like anything that says this is cool, right, just ultimately fails, you know? Yeah, like for real. You, you need you need something that just embraces what it wants to do versus what it's trying to tell you it's doing. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. And 
Doom is like just a fucking panic attack of a great time. Yeah, I, it's, I'm it's, having it's the best extremely time self-aware <laughs> and like extremely yes. goofy and so tongue-in-cheek yeah. about everything that it's doing. It still tries to play itself off as like cool, like big heavy quotes around the word cool, right? Like they they got like an incredible uh, death metal uh, soundtrack in there that is just like absolutely wild. All like the game mechanically is about like just a, a super intense hyper power fantasy, but at the same time, like it knows it. It feels like um here's like I think maybe the best example of of how Doom fucking crushed. Uh, the first one, at least, was uh, it's like the first Expendables movie when Sylvester Stallone got all those dudes together and they released the first movie and they tried to play it straight like it was cool and then it absolutely was not. And then the second one was like a comedy because they realized how dumb it was at some point after they released the first one. Yeah. And Doom is the Expendables too. Doom is like, or sorry, these, these <laughs> like new versions of Doom um, are, is like that version of the Expendables where they know that getting every 80s guy together who was in an action movie in the 80s is like an extremely stupid and goofy thing to do and and that's what this that's the tone that this game is trying to achieve and i imagine eternal is also doing the same yeah i think um at least i'm i'm like i want to say two hours in which like every minute of this game feels like uh, yeah like <laughs> it doesn't feel long but it just feels intense like it it, it it magnifies time yeah i've only for context i've only played um i've only played an hour of the first one so like that's kind of as much yeah. as i've dove in uh, i have it on game pass like I, i'll get back to it eventually but anyway sorry continue yeah and Oh, that's okay. And from what I know, like they're fairly similar. This is just sort of like more of it. Yeah. Um, essentially, the biggest difference that I could that I could tell with my like very limited time just watching my roommate play Doom 2016 and, and unable to leave the room uh, is that the settings in this game are much more varied. So like in Doom 2016, you're mostly in that like classic like red and green Doom hell. Yeah. And this, it changes it up. And honestly, that's kind of nice because that can kind of get to you after a while. <laughs> like, yeah. if, if the whole game is, like, ripping eyeballs out of demons and, like, you're also in, like, a hell toilet, it's nice <laughs> to, like, also be in, like, blue ruins or something. You know, I think that's also, like, at the very most base idea, just having variety in the levels is, like, nice. That that tends to work out pretty well. Yeah, always. Um, yeah, that's that's always the case. Yeah. And that way it reminds me of our time with Remnant where like what kept us going in that game was just being like what the hell is next, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but uh I would say like my time with this game is very similar to when I watched Mad Max Fury Road in <laughs> Uh, uh, it was in Millennium Park in Chicago. They did like a outdoor movie thing, kind of like what they do in Central Park sometimes. Yeah, right. Um, and on a giant projector, they just played Fury Road, which was awesome because the first time I saw Fury Road was was on a date, and it was very <laughs> nerve wracking. <laughs> like. She really wanted to see it, and it was fun. This is years ago. This is when it came out in 2015. Yeah. But, like, I was in a very probably not compatible headspace to watch Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. You know, being very self-conscious of, like, oh, how is this going? I hope she likes me. And just seeing, like... <laughs> what happens in Memex for your road happen. But watching it with friends uh, for the second time outside <laughs> on this giant projector was incredible. And like, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not a hot take. It's a great movie. But I was with a, a friend of mine who had never seen it before. And the first like 45 minutes of that movie just does not give you a break yeah. at all. Yeah. Like it's just like, and in, in a good way, but then there's like a very brief, I think it's after the red sandstorm. There's like a moment of, of the first moment of silence where the car is just like toppled over mm -hmm. and like the, the wind settles. And I just heard my friend go like, 
because <gasps> like, he sighed with his whole body uh yeah. and he was so into it he loved it but like that's what this game feels like constantly because the way it's structured which i think really pays off is rather than having a like you just walk from point a to point b and fight things on the way i mean that's what you are doing but what happens is like you'll go into what is essentially like a little arena and it will be like closed off in some way it's not always like a wall or anything but like you will be unable to progress until you take out every monster in this like this arena that almost feels like it's designed for like multiplayer but it's in the campaign and the thing about this game is like there's no reloading there's no cover you just have to constantly be on the move yeah and constantly be like gauging your ammo and like what makes sense to do because how it works is like you start off with just a shotgun um, Perfect. and l- ammo is very limited and the way you get more ammo is you know there are pickups and stuff but mostly what happens is once you uh, get an enemy to low enough health they start flashing and then you go in and perform like an over-the-top kill move that like gives you a bunch of health and ammo right so what ends up happening as you go on is you kind of learn like okay like these enemies don't take much to kill but these do do i want to take out the big one first or do i want to like keep the little ones on my radar so i can like get health and ammo from them it's really it's really well done and like i'm at a point now where like i feel like i've learned the game has taught me like okay here are like most of the monsters you're gonna find uh here are a few weapons now we're just gonna throw everything at you and like I just <laughs> it just like clicked for me because like at first I was like I don't know if this is my thing but like the like atonal like a like rhythmic heavy metal guitar that just plays like it, <laughs> yeah. it's almost and this is a weird comparison but it almost reminds me of how Breath of the Wild score complements what you're doing yeah because yeah, like absolutely. W- when you're first in this thing, it's just so frantic and you're like in fight or flight mode, just like trying to figure out what the fuck is happening. Right. <laughs> There's like a brain with a scorpion tail firing at you and you're like, okay, 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 okay. I don't have, I have like eight bullets. How do I do this? And you're just running in circles, like trying to figure out what to do. But then as you get into a rhythm, it, it literally feels like endorphins start kicking in, like a jogger's high. And as you start getting better and as the enemies clear out, the heavy metal score, like, actually becomes like a song like it, it fits into a rhythm and it's just it's just so fucking cool like it, it really yeah. i'm not into any of this normally like i'm not into metal really i'm not into like gore or or these types of games usually but like it is committing to everything so fully and so almost like celebratory like it, it's a it's a violent game but it is so it commits so hard to being over the top that it goes around the other way yeah yeah um, absolutely and I think too, like in terms of being self-aware, the moment I realized, like, okay, this is just like a roller coaster ride, was like after I beat the first area, they're like, thirty-three percent of the hell priests remain. I'm like, okay, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like hearing hearing a Siri voice to say the word hell priest casually, I'm like, right. this is it's like the moment you say in Aquaman where the octopus is playing the drums. The first time they say hell priest yeah. seriously is that moment. Um, <laughs> that rules. And what adds to it, too, is like the there is like a little bit of I think there, there's more story happening here than there was in 2016. But not only is the protagonist silent, but they don't really like stand still during cutscenes. They just like keep kind of moving around as if they're like only programmed to like fight a bunch of monsters so if anyone's like hello let me tell you the lore of mars like i don't give a shit where's the next eyeball demon um (laughs) that's fascinating it does like 
there are some things that kind of get in the way. Like, you know, I would compare this game oddly to Titanfall 2 in, in the sense that, like, it is a shorter campaign, hyper committed to providing you with, like, a certain experience. Mm-hmm. But while Titanfall 2 miraculously pulls off, like, platforming, and a very cheesy but oddly heartfelt story. Yeah. This game's story, and and they do add platforming, which I don't think really works. That being said, like the the, the what this game is doing well is like why you're staying, and everything else is sort of is whatever. Yeah, you know, like you're it, it's it's fine to put up with those lesser moments because like when you get to those arenas and you're taking on like eight million demons with with three different guns and and it's just like it's just insane. I would recommend playing this game as soon as you wake up, like. Get a cup of coffee <laughs> and play this game. Like, because I don't think this is a game. I, I feel like the first time I played it, it was after I was working remotely. It was like five or six, and it just like didn't sit right with me. Yeah, right. Um, like I was enjoying it, but it wasn't like I was like, okay, this is so opposite of what I usually play right. to wind down. But like playing this game in the morning, like standing up with like a cup of coffee is like the way to do it. It is so. <laughs> not what you need right now that it becomes exactly what you need uh in in a very bizarre way yeah. um and honestly is a really weird compliment to animal crossing <laughs> i played both in this this sitting before we recorded yeah in animal crossing i did my morning routine and then in this i i jumped in and i think like I think that the game is very committed to getting you in and out very quickly. Like even when you lose, like you start over right where you left off mm-hmm. and and like your organic knowledge of like how the different demons fight and what it takes to take them down and like you know the the just enjoyment of like taking out those arenas and reaching the checkpoint. Like in the same way that I was okay, I'm going to play Animal Crossing get all the fossils, pick up all the sticks and call it a day. Right. And this one, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get to this checkpoint and then call it there. They're, they're both very good at like, just taking like a routine out of oddly enough, even though this <laughs> game is like, so not <laughs> the vibe. Right, yeah. crossing. Uh, but it's great. I would really recommend it. Surprisingly. I, I was expecting to like, like it, but kind of at an arm's length. And I think like, and I still kind of feel that way in moments, but when it's, when it's doing its thing, well, there's like really nothing like it. And I think that it, it really is interesting to see this this IP that is literally like one of one of the first, if not the first, FPS game. You know, the first Doom alongside Wolfenstein yeah. was like what created the genre essentially. To see it come back and like you know, because there was a version I think of a modern Doom game where they just like upped the graphics but didn't change anything else and it was like fine. Yeah, that's kind of but what Doom Three was th- if you played that one. Yeah. Right, right. But what Doom 2016 did and what this game is doing is really thinking like, okay, what did the original Doom provide that has been lost to the modern shooting genre? And it is that sense of franticness. I mean, you play the original Doom and like you just have the ability (laughs) to move shoot you're it's a very vulnerable game you're very vulnerable despite it being a power fantasy you have to like you're constantly like on death's door basically um which makes it so thrilling when you finally get out it reminds me like i think the reason i liked uh mad max fear road so much for many reasons but in terms of the fighting choreography whenever mad max fights in that movie it's very feral and reactionary. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's not like uh, Zack Snyder. Oh, cool! Let's slow down time and see like a 
God of War move. Yeah. It's like he just grabs a can, like throws it with like lizard eyes darting around. And like yeah. you just get the sense that he's so used to being constantly under attack that he doesn't have any humanity left. Yeah. And one of the one what actually kind of also flying in the face of the Snyder thing, like one of the interesting things about that movie is that although visually it's like an extremely beautiful movie, just in terms of like the the color correction and all that stuff that happened after the yeah. fact, like a lot of the, the post work, the way the film is actually shot, especially in those moments, like the real really 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 frantic moments is everything is center frame all the time they, they yeah. center everything that's happening everything they want you to focus on is center frame so your eyes never have to move because they're cutting so quickly you they, yes. they can't say okay now we want you to look at the left side of the screen then the right side of the screen because i think your your brain would hurt in those moments yeah. and that weirdly enough like I, I find at least from my couple hours with the with doom 2016 like that was weirdly kind of the situation in doom 2016 as well where where i i found although everything else was frantic around me and i felt very frantic in general i i think there's like a, a general sense of of calmness that comes from the fact that like the color palette was very muted and like i kind of always knew what to expect even if i didn't know how i was going to handle it um which i think just like really goes to show how how streamlined that design is um and and how much they how much thought they gave to uh to not overwhelming the player but like keeping them just below that line at all times yeah yeah absolutely that's a very that's a very like insightful way to look at it and i think too there's so much to be said about that quick editing because i think with with this level of gore i mean they're they're like you know they're they're like demons that you would see on the back of like a it's very biker mice from mars energy it's very like early 90s like you know that kind of grungy aesthetic so it's hard to like it's like a it's a 90s notebook doodle turned into like a a fully 3d (laughs) rendered like like a kind of bloodborne covered in barbecue sauce demon yeah that being said, though, I think what also keeps the gore from feeling, I mean, it is gratuitous inherently, but I think what keeps it, because I don't, I don't really like gore at all. Like, I don't do well with it. I don't, I don't really watch a lot of horror movies because of it. Yeah. But this, you just get so desensitized because it is so quick. And like, those kill moves are so in and out. Like, you just, it's very Mad Max where like in the uh, scorpion brain monsters, you just like pick a grenade out from its like machinery and like shove it in its mouth and keep going. Yeah. You know? And what's great is, like, depending on what you're, you know, like, I did one where an enemy was glowing and I jumped down and I hit R3 and my kill move was just, like, stomping on its head as I landed and I kept going. Yeah. So, like, I think, too, with Mad Max, like, the, the quick editing, the violence is, like, part of the, like, almost choreography of the scene and not, like, something where the camera becomes, like, gazy for mm-hmm. it. Like, it does in Mortal, like, you know, no shame in Mortal Kombat, but, like, the fatalities in that game are, like, very much, like, look at this for five minutes, you know, and right. that just does nothing for me. This is disgusting. <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to see this. Yeah. There are some funny ones, but like, you know, it's it's not really a series I seek out because of that level of like focus, whereas this is like it's just so fast and so not real that it doesn't like irk me. It's great. I really like it. I, I think I know I heard I heard it's like a 12 hour campaign, so I'd like to finish it because I hear the second half is like where it really gets going. Cool. Um, but as someone who's like new to the series and like actively doesn't really seek out games like this like i'm having a really great time with it and i think going back to our episode with dom where we talked about like having a game that kind of gets you like physically involved like we sports mm-hmm. this game has no motion control aspect but like 
it will get you standing up and like physically involved in a way that other games don't. Yeah, like it, it feels wild. like you're you're watching like a sporting event you really care about. You know, like it's the same. <laughs> I was gonna say when you when you mentioned before that you were standing up, like you were holding coffee and like standing up and playing it and stuff. I was gonna say that sounds a lot like you're just watching football or something. That's so funny. <laughs> this is my football. This is my Sunday Sunday night football. Yeah, whatever. NFL I know Eternal. nothing about yeah. sports. I mean, no, that's a thing. <laughs> NFL Eternal. <laughs> Rip and tear the pigs. <laughs> until it is done. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's just so weird to play this game because literally most of my day has been like like working remotely with like, you know, as I work, I put like very low-key music in the background. Uh, I've also been watching Parks and Rec. I've been watching a lot of Bob Ross as well. Hell and yeah. playing Animal Are you watching Crossing. on so uh, to that, mix that Twitch in... channel? No, I'm watching on Netflix. They just have oh, all nice. this stuff there's on a, there. There's a Bob Ross Twitch channel where they just have it on 24-7. <laughs> I think the only day they take off is Sunday or something. Like, there's one day where they don't stream it. But anyway. I've just been having weird dreams now throwing Doom Eternal into that, like, (laughs) quarantine mix. Yeah, yeah, totally. I just hear Bob Ross like, just beat the devil out of it. As I rip out my balls. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I love all of Hell's creatures. Squirrels and eyeball demons. Just beat the devil. Beat the out devil of out of it. it. Oh my god, he he says that all the time. A, I, man, a titanium white. Just beat the devil. Titanium white. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we can't do this too much, but Bob Ross in Hell is is one of my favorite bits. <laughs> <laughs> I love Bob Ross. Would highly recommend Bob Ross. He's also Same. like an incredible painter. Like obviously he should be based on the show, but like it is cool to see him work. Anyway, Doom Eternal, Bob Ross, Parks and Rec, all great. Would recommend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think there's anything that we can say that can make this segment any better. So I'm, I, th- I think we should just stop it and move on. Yeah, like the game, short and sweet, in and out, rip and tear until it is done. Beat the devil out of it. Beat the devil out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's his favorite part i just love i just love yeah it's so good anyway it is will cut to him like also like bottle feeding a squirrel sometimes it's amazing yeah, be, oh this is my uh, friend I, I found him out in the woods and brought him in uh yeah he has a bunch of squirrels and every once in a while his son shows up and his son will do one yeah. and his son is like exactly the same he just has a mustache instead of the the fro yeah <laughs> Like that's his visual but identifier. In passing, he'll be like, I can't stress this enough. The people emailing me about having squirrels as pets, they're not pets. I take care of them, and I bring them back to the wild where they belong. Yeah. I'm like, who's emailing Bob Ross angrily? <laughs> who's watching that show and being like, you fucker? Why are you taking in those squirrels? <laughs> Rip and tear until it is done. All right, onward. Goodbye. Uh, Steven, quick uh, like housekeeping update in the middle of the episode. I just wanted to shout out a couple things that have happened recently. Uh, yeah. Number one, we have an Instagram account now. It's uh, Instagram.com slash into the cast or just at into the cast. If you're already in the Instagram application on your mobile device, <laughs> uh, you can check it out there. I, I uploaded all the uh, previous art. So the entire collection of all, I don't, I don't know, 90 something pieces of art are up there, which is fun. And uh, they'll be there going forward. So I, I don't know. We have a Twitter and everything else. But like if Instagram is more your speed, then uh, feel free to follow us there. And I don't know what else we'll do on that feed yet, but I'm sure we'll yeah. do something fun. I guess we could do stuff with the stories, you know, for announcements or whatever. Um, but the, yeah. the main feed will just be episode art and like the show notes. Um, yeah. It's honestly been cool to revisit some of the older pieces. And you have retconned because our first <laughs> our first like canonical episode was uh 
Octopath Traveler, which like I've been feeling a real hankering nostalgia for. Me too. That game a little is a bit. very special place in my heart, and I feel like would be great right now. Just like a like you know, alongside Doom Eternal, just a great companion <laughs> piece. Chocolate and peanut butter. The battle is truly won. <laughs> but uh, uh, you added art to episodes that didn't have any. The first three test episodes, Frasier and the Void, just like major artistic kudos to you, my friend. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. The, the NASA photo with yeah. Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, so so that art is there. Yeah, you can go back, scroll all the way back to the beginning and see the art for the test episodes uh, before we even figured out the name of the podcast. Um, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> Um, a second thing is that uh, our, our Anchor account, uh, it used to be, I, I think it was, I don't even remember what it was, uh, The Aether? I think it was anchor.fm slash The Aether, uh, which didn't make any sense because everything else that we have is into the cast. So uh, that yeah. is now anchor.fm slash into the cast as well. Um, so for those of you who, I guess, want to share the show with other people, which that'd be very nice if you did it, uh, you can send them to anchor.fm slash into the cast, and that's where they can find the subscribe links for every single uh, podcast app that exists, just about. Uh, yeah. Anchor is very good about sending us everywhere where we need to be. And the third thing, which I, I'm actually very excited about, is that we now are adding our entire audio backlog to YouTube. Um, so you can now go to YouTube, um, which we don't have uh, We don't have a short URL yet. Like, we don't have a uh, I forget what they're called, a vanity URL. I think we need something like 40 more subscribers on the channel or something, and then we can get into the cast. But for now, oh, cool. uh, the link is just in the show notes. But you can go back and uh, the plan... Uh, so this this episode will come out on on Wednesday, I think the 13th or 14th of May or something like that. By that point, I guess the the third or fourth episode will be up. Uh, we're doing a watch along, which will have already happened, but we're doing, I guess, a listen along technically of the first episode. So that's going to air live on YouTube and we're going to be in chat and like talking along there. So you can go and check out that one. And then every single day until we're caught up uh, for, I guess, like over 80 days, every day at 1 p.m. our time, there will be a new one coming out on youtube so you'll be able to check every single day as a new episode shows up um and that'll happen until we're caught up and then it'll be one to one so that's fun uh yeah and, and i'm excited for that i think i'll add to like this is this is much much more up in the air than than the other announcements you just did but i think um in addition to our backlog what's on our youtube channel currently is like a select number of streams we've done uh most notably like the ones that have been, had a little bit more not of a story but of like an arc you know or yeah, uh, yeah, totally. the big one i think is us playing remnant together with our two characters we want to get back into that in some way we haven't decided on like a set day but i think brendan and i were talking about trying to do that a little bit more consistently i think that not every stream is going to go to youtube because i think sometimes we're just like i'm gonna stream today and it just happens and it's like yeah it exists. It's always a fun time, but I think we'll we will upload the streams that like are some type of recurring segment or like have some type of like uh, I think when it's when it's the both of us and when it's something that we're going to play more than once, it will be ported to YouTube. Yeah. If you, uh, dear listener, have any recommendations for PlayStation Four video games uh, that Steve and I can play together, we're we're optimally looking for something where we can like make our own characters and like go through a story. Uh, we were talking about maybe like dipping back into Reg- Remnant or playing Final Fantasy fourteen some more or Elder Scrolls Online or things like that. So um, if you have if you have any ideas for uh, games like that that would be fun for us to play together or games that you just want us to play on stream uh feel free to hit us up in any of the places where you can hit us up now uh which now includes instagram as well you can dm us there uh Hell yeah yeah cool exciting announcements beat the devil out of it <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah all those links are in the show notes so whatever app you're in check out the show notes yeah. and you'll find them there cool sick moving Wanna on go back to the show yeah, yeah let's, let's do, do it, it.
Cool. Goodbye. Whoa. Jinx. <laughs> you owe me some cold brew. You owe me some titanium white. <laughs> <laughs> I wish anyway. I could remember any of the any of the other colors. Um. Oh man. There's a there's a shade of brown he uses a lot, but titanium white is like by far the most referenced. I guess I've been watching a lot of his winter pieces lately. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Anyway, moving on. Moving on. Steven, we're back. Hi. Hello. Hey, what's up? Welcome back to the podcast. Um, I've been playing a bunch of games just kind of like last week. Um, I want to focus down on two of them, but just to like go over uh, where I've been since last week because I was like committing myself to playing more Xbox. I still have been playing a lot more Xbox. Uh, I have been playing. I know I mentioned I was playing Dark Souls 2. I'm now playing Dark Souls 1 and 2 simultaneously, uh, which is really strange. I don't know why I'm doing that. Um, Dark Souls (laughs) Remastered on Xbox One looks awesome, by the way. Would recommend. Oh, cool. I have it on Switch, but that one's like not really accurate actually remastered it's really just a port yeah remastered on xbox one very good uh anyway so i've been playing that a little bit um i got knights of the old republic 2 and i started playing it i played it for like maybe 15 minutes um i just like got through the opening tutorial where you play as a droid on like a ship that's broken uh which was like extremely weird and then at a certain point i was like should i be playing this game if i haven't played the first one really and then uh saw a bunch of articles online that were like yeah just go play the first one why not they're like pretty much the same like in terms of graphic fidelity and if you play the second one first you're gonna get a bunch of quality of life improvements that you'll wish you had if you go back and want to play the first one so I i thought okay i'll just stop it right here my adventure as a uh, wedge star wars the character i made in nice the old republic 2 <laughs> came to a very abrupt end maybe he'll come back later um but i, I have now been playing a bunch of Knights of the Old Republic 1 uh, backwards compatible on the Xbox One as uh, Biggs Star Trek is my name in that <laughs> game <laughs> Okay. And I've been like, like, I look, Nice Old Republic, good video game. Not, not a hot take, literally at all. That's like uh, pretty much everybody, I think, who has played it would argue that it's maybe one of the best Star Wars games, uh, if not the best Star Wars game, at least from what I've heard over the years. Yeah. Honestly, one of my favorite like Star Wars works of fiction, honestly. Like, I really like their take on it. Anyway, continue. Yeah. So I I, uh, jumped into it and I've just been blown away by that game like even i mean it came out in 2003 um even like in 2020 standards like this game has held up surprisingly well um i i have found myself in this in this situation where like i kind of wish that more games committed to creating a a a real kind of like realistically uh populated and densely populated place as this game did in 2003 in in more recent games like i'm also playing assassin's creed origins at at the moment and and uh final fantasy 12 which you know i'll talk about later but like even, even by comparison like this game kind of holds up to those two like this 2003 game holds up to that 2006 game and and that what 2017 or 2016 uh, Assassin's Creed game, like just in terms of how well realized the Star Wars universe is in that game is like shocking. And a lot of it just has to do with voice acting. Like the whole game is voice acted. Every single yeah. line of dialogue yeah. is voice acted in that game and has uh, usually some kind of branching narrative uh, dialogue tree that you can choose from as well. So like you're also influencing all of those conversations that are all voice acted. Um, and, and what that creates is like this really, really, really really like almost overwhelming at times sense of place in a in a video game that like doesn't look super great but i think just uh the fact that every single bit of dialogue 
is not only voice acted but like is voice acted pretty well yeah really yeah. really like solidifies that as a real place for me at least so far like i've been having a really kind of like shockingly good time playing this game now you played it at some point right yeah i played it actually relatively after the fact so my first bioware game was mass effect 2 oh mine which too is I think, like actually. yeah a pretty high standard to follow um mm-hmm. and i think it's a, it's actually very interesting to talk about uh, Knights of the Republic alongside Mass Effect, uh, but I'll get into that in a second. But I really loved Mass Effect 2. I ended up then going back and playing the first one, and I and I played all three. I, I picked up Dragon Age Origins as well, and I loved that. So I was like, okay, I really want to see, like... Because in many ways, Knights of the Republic is, like, the definitive beginning of Bioware's, like, you know, brand. But that is, like... In, in many ways, it's yeah. still their most beloved game. There was, like, an age um, of Bioware, and it kicked off with, with Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah. So I went back and played it, and like you said, it's, like, it's shockingly fresh. Like, yeah, the, the combat and the graphics are, like, what you kind of expect going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't get in the way, but they just are what they are. But, like, I think that there is still such a void for games like that. I think um, Outer Worlds kind of tried to, like, revive this sort of game and mm. and did for the most part. But, like, even still, I think this game, in terms of just, like, feeling like the setting is real, feeling like your conversations actually have weight and matter. I'll never forget there's a, there's a bounty hunter. Th- this game very much follows my rule of D&D where, like, you can try to do anything, but it's going to be filtered through the reality of the setting. Yeah. So, like, if you want to be a jerk and try to fight everyone, you can, but you're going to get your ass kicked. Yeah, and totally. The the moment they, like, teach any player who's trying to be, like, a cool, chaotic, neutral rogue. I know exactly meet, the point you're talking about already. You yeah. meet, oh, what's his name? He's got a great name. Uh, The Bounty Hunter. You know what I'm yeah, talking yeah, about? Yeah, the, the one in the cantina. I don't know his name either. He has, like, the I cool need to, goggles on. Yeah, I need to, I need to find out. I'm sorry. The one who counts the three? Is that who you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Nord. Callow Nord. Uh, easily, yeah. easily one of my favorites. And you, you meet him. You see him, like, take out a group of ne'er-do-wells in a bar. Uh, yeah. And he just you talk to him and he counts from three to one and you have you can like kind of antagonize him and if you keep doing that he just kills you he wipes you out like with no effort yeah but if you leave he's like wisely done yeah Uh, yeah he's he's like nice choice kid and then he walks off he and yeah he is just like a really fascinating character that that in the beginning just sort of thrown in the background like he i think he does come back in some way but like is a character that feels like there was so much thought put behind that's just in the bar you right. know yeah, yeah. like you don't have to talk to very him. easily missable that character yeah. yeah so but yeah that that game kind of i think solidified bioware's attention to detail with like having a great cast really good voice acting really cool moral choices and the way that plot plays out is like unbelievable it's it's still really great yeah i think too something that i was worried about is like i'm like i don't really i feel like star wars is such a giant ip that i don't know if i, I can have like a personal attachment to this story you know mm-hmm. like, yeah. i feel like it's gonna like you know I, I don't really seek out games that like explore i mean not that it you know i'm not saying like oh it's too mainstream but like i'm like how original is this gonna feel and it really like it definitely captures what i like about star wars but very much feels like its own work of fiction yeah um, i mean it, just by by way of them setting it in the old republic like before the prequels like a, a couple i think a hundred or two hundred or something years before the prequels even happen I, I think that by itself kind of sets it up in a pretty good spot where it's like okay 
there there's no relation to anyone that you've met in in like the original trilogy or the prequel trilogy as far as i can tell so far um and i'm sure if it happens it'll like actually be uh, i don't know uh, incorporated in a way that might be interesting uh but for now i'm just like in i'm on it 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 avoids all of my like bummer star wars tropes which is like you keep revisiting the same planets you've seen in the movies over and over and over again like i'm on a different planet right now that is like kind of uh coruscant adjacent it's like a city that's the entire planet but you have a very you have like a pretty solid like stratification kind of uh like gravity rush 2 in terms of the way the city is is laid out where uh, you know, the, the wealthy live on the top and there's, you know, the, the poor people live uh, on the bottom. And then there's like an even lower section of that that's like actually the ground of the planet, which is where there's like a bunch of uh, like mutated nuclear uh, nightmare people, essentially, uh, yeah. who are like fenced out. I don't know. It's wild. It's a wild planet to be visiting. And it, and it, at times it doesn't even feel like Star Wars, which I think is actually really exciting because it just opens up the door for what Star Wars can be. And like exactly as much as, you know, people rag on the prequels, I think the one thing that everybody agrees on is like at least george lucas took some big fucking swings in terms of making the galaxy feel bigger than just tatooine and endor you know and hoth like those were the three planets that existed in in that trilogy i think the prequels for better or for worse are the the like results of george lucas is saying yes to all concept art the artist's like really you want just all of this is gonna be (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah, just throw it all in who gives a shit but i think you're right and i think too the fact that like the decision of of just making lightsabers like very very rare and very like almost holy mm. made it like kind of separate and also like it's like okay if you do see any kind of like very movie centric Star Wars imagery it is so like almost fantastical to the reality of this game yeah totally um, the the game opens with you trying to escape from a ship that's like under attack by the Sith um and and there's a point when you and the guy that you're with on the ship are are running down uh, a hallway and you open up one of the doors because that's where the escape pods are supposed to be and you open up the doors and there's a Jedi fighting a Sith there and the dude you're with is like fuck no <laughs> let's get yeah. out of here are you kidding me <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you just you run, you run much, away from it. It's very much like the scene at the end of uh, of Rogue One, where like they yeah. just show like how does Darth Vader stack up to like the average stormtrooper or rebel soldier? And totally, it's like, there's no comparison. It's like a figure of myth showing up. Yeah, and I think you know I, I, the things that are recognizable are like there are a lot of the classic Star Wars races. Like you get a you get squad mates that are like a young Twi'lek girl and like her uh, Wookiee bodyguard who yeah. are awesome. Who I'm like in the um, process of rescuing at the moment. So I think as soon as oh, that quest cool. is done, they'll join the party, which I'm excited about. Yeah. That's always my favorite part of a Bioware game is like getting your crew and like hearing their kind of ambient dialogue. Yeah, um, I really love that I as think, you're running around, they'll continually stop you and like you'll have conversations with them or even it'll stop and it'll be like, uh, they seem kind of like bothered by something. Do you want to talk to them? And you can, you can say no if you want, but you can also say yes. And, and that can go many different ways depending on how you're choosing to play your own character absolutely and i think what that game does really well too is i think it it really creatively explores the the philosophies of the sith and the jedi in a way that isn't as like starkly good or evil yeah Um, i think the thing that i've I've found most interesting about the newest trilogy is is the exploration of like the gray between the light and the dark side and and just how like neither really worked out. I mean, the prequels, in my opinion, are just uh, a pretty much like blueprint for how not to run a, a Jedi Council. Like, not like <laughs> it's it's a, it's a fucking nightmare yeah. what happens, and it ends with Anakin Skywalker becoming Darth Vader, and like that's entirely right. the fault of the Jedi Council. Uh, the the supposed good guys, you know, just kind of being assholes and 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 having like a power trip. 
Um, and then obviously the Sith are bad as well. So there has to be some kind of middle ground, which I think is what The Last Jedi, I, I think, tackled in a really interesting way. Yeah. Um, and Rogue One, Absolutely. to a certain extent, also does just in terms of the rebellion being like maybe not all that great at times as well. Like they're also yeah. pulling some shit that's that's really not great. Um, and, and this game seems to be exploring that already in a way that I'm really fascinated by. Um, yeah, I haven't decided if I'm going to go light or dark yet. I'm, I'm inching towards light at the moment. I've from what I've heard, I've just asked people like on a whim, like, don't tell me anything else about it but kotor light or dark kotor 2 light or dark and everybody says go light side for the first one and dark side for the second one so i'll probably follow yeah, that that makes it you also get different abilities depending on which path right. you choose which is cool so yeah. it's like it's so tempting just to get the sith lightning you know it's like come on just give me that totally uh, and i think if i play the first game as like goody two shoes jedi it'll be fun to like let loose the second time and just be a, a, a fucking menace yeah i i don't want to spoil why but i think going light for the first game also makes the story much more interesting to be honest yeah Um, i have okay wait so i'm not gonna say anything about it i have a hunch about a huge potential plot thing in this game i don't know anything about the story of this game like literally at all but there there's there's some like (laughs) there's some hints that i picked up on already that's like "Eh, is this a thing that's gonna happen and i don't i don't want to say it out loud maybe when we're done recording we can talk about it just in case other people want to play it but there's there's a thing that i think is gonna happen and if it does i'm gonna be so fucking amped because it it says so without getting too farther into it um it says so much about the idea of like how much of the character did you create i think um if i'm right which i'm excited about anyway moving on no, no, no. I just got to say, this, this conver- I won't say any more than you have, but I'll just say, like, alongside maybe even bigger than the end of Disc 1 FF7 is this thing you're alluding to. Oh, really? Okay, uh, cool. Yeah, so the fact that you don't know is amazing, because it is so well done. Yeah. Um, I won't say what, but there is a big plot event that does... Like I, all I say is there's a big plot event that is one of the many things that keeps this game like up here on people's list of like best games ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you call it, you're a genius. But I think it is one of those things that like is definitely implied throughout, and it does have a payoff. Yeah, uh, for yeah. Sure. I mean, I'm I'm getting I'm getting whiffs of a of of a twist. Uh, and I'm, yeah. I'm excited to see if I'm right. All right, Kit it. Fisto is alive, and yes, he joins your party. Oh, is that what shit. it is? Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. I've been waiting for it the whole time. <laughs> Kit Fisto shows up with eight lightsabers and says, Rip and tear until it's done. <laughs> <laughs> joins your team. Hey, he just beats the devil out of everyone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah the joy I, of fame with Kit Fisto is not going to be the episode title, but I really yeah. want it to be. I think in your, in your joy of playing the <laughs> joy of painting and the joy of playing. Uh, Knights of the Republic I would love for us to uh, I think you would enjoy playing Mass Effect 1 now because I think Mass Effect 1 is a little bit harder to get through because of the controls but it is very much like if you added shooting to Knights of the Republic in terms of like how it plays yeah but it's so fascinating to jump from one to the other because you can see it's like, okay kind of like obsidian which did knights of the republic 2 here's bioware given this giant ip and putting their own twists on it and then they're given the chance to make their own sci-fi series which is like probably the dream of like almost anyone you yeah, know absolutely. like to make your own sci-fi world and mass effect feels like this culmination of so many beloved sci-fi series it definitely feels more star trek than star wars but i think yeah. it also very much follows in uh, i think the moral philosophy of um you know like in knights of republic you can be light or dark and like that does get into more good or evil territory 
but in Mass Effect, the 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 branching morality choices, which like you know, if you go one or the other, unlocks different things, is Paragon and Renegade, and Paragon is 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 kind of like the Jedi, where it's like, okay, let's think big picture, let's think uh, outside of myself. What does everyone need, and what's the long term best solution? Yeah, um, which sounds good, but it can also lead to like indecision. And in the first game, you're kind of working for this galactic council it's sort of like the un um but they're like plagued by bureaucracy and they never really make a choice so renegade kind of feels appealing because renegade is all about fuck this i'm going to shoot the guy in the kneecaps and ask him a question you know like let's just get it done the ends justify the means and that you know the extremes of that are where you get into issues but i think that and then in the second game they flip that because you're working for the elusive man who is as renegade as you can get right yeah Uh, so i think that it's interesting to see them pull their own morality system from the ideas of like the sith and the jedi or at least their own interpretation of that yeah uh, which is cool because i think that is the appeal of the dark side is the fact that it is about oneself it's rooted in emotion and is appealing i I always think i've mentioned this before but i always think about the scene in empire strikes back where luke is on dagobah and he he has this i don't know how he finds that but he realizes that his friends are in trouble and he wants to go save them and yoda and obi-wan are like they're like your impulse to save your friends is a dark side impulse right uh and that to me is like so it's so weird to think like me wanting to do good is actually rooted in the dark side because for whatever reason that series has chosen to link emotion to like a maybe not evil but a more impulsive side yeah which i think if you explore more thoroughly it's more interesting because i think just saying emotions are bad is silly i also this is maybe the nerdiest thing i've ever said but i always <laughs> think about that philosophy compared to dragon ball z where like emotions <laughs> are your power and are good yeah like, yeah yeah, totally if krillin dies and you get pissed you become the most powerful version of yourself ever right uh, vegeta needs to we- feel something if he wants to be as powerful as goku <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Also, just a real hot take. Uh, <laughs> give me a spinoff series of just Vegeta as a dad at home. That's all I want. Yeah, like, you got to watch Dragon Ball Super if that's what you want. Because yeah, you, you get a lot. Of I it. mean, yeah, it's just it's just so good. Him growing a mustache and no one realizing, and then him going, "It's my mustache, you idiot!" is so good. <laughs> uh, that was a great Vegeta. Um, they, I I really limit my Vegeta because it's so loud. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but now that I'm top floor in a new apartment, I could be Vegeta more more frequently. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, I, I can do a lot of it. Uh, that show i'll refrain for now but i can do a lot of dragon ball z thank you very much okay i'm excited to hear that at some point maybe when uh eventually dragon ball z uh what's it called kakarot will go on sale and then i'll play that and then we can we can dive in you should pick out dragon ball z fighter i love that game uh if you want to play fighting game together um we can do that that'd be fun yeah um, right. well. Yeah, Knights of the Old Republic. It's a it's a good game so far. I'm excited to play more of it. I've been having a really good time. The reason that I haven't played more of it though is because I've also been playing Final Fantasy XII: The Zodiac Age on the Switch, which we talked Speaking about briefly. Speaking of the prequels, yeah, yeah, we, we talked about briefly a couple episodes ago, just kind of like touching on the fact that you and I had both picked it up. I just like as I was playing other games, uh, you know, I'm playing Kotor and Dark Souls One and Two and Assassin's Creed Origins. As I'm playing all of them, I just keep having this pull to like get into Final Fantasy XII more. And I I couldn't really explain it um, until I started playing it more. And just like that game is great. Like real. I'm like six or seven hours in at this point. um, And I am just like blown away by like not only the, the quality of that game as like a Final Fantasy game. Also, like three years 
separated from Nice the Old Republic feels like a completely different league of video game. Um, yeah, absolutely. The way that they have decided to populate the world and, and allow you to speak to everyone who lives in all the cities. Like it's it's really it feels very dense. And, and you and I talked about this a little bit, but like a lot of people refer to Final Fantasy 12 as like an offline MMO. Um, yeah. And it, it very much feels that way. We're like almost every citizen, at least in Dalmasco, the place where you start is like just kind of riddled with NPCs that you can talk to who have like little uh, dialogue bits by themselves. Um, and, and like anytime you go into a store, there's like 50 people there. It's like always slammed and like there's like lines and stuff and people are like checking out all the items. Like it's really, I, th- I think, really uh, spectacularly done in terms of just the way that they've decided to fill out that world. I'm now at the second city. So after the starting city, oh, cool. um, which, which is great and, and having a really good time there. Um, but the thing that really has struck me about this game, honestly, and this is why I wanted to talk about it in the same segment as KOTOR, is that this is just Star Wars. Like, this, like yeah. <laughs> we've talked about how yep. Final Fantasy is, or at least, like, those who are behind the making of Final Fantasy are, are big Star Wars fans. Like, this game so far has been the story of Star Wars. Uh, it's What's weird about it is, like, we mentioned, okay, you know, these games were, or this game was developed along the same time that the Lord of the Rings movies were coming out, and there's, like, clearly a lot of uh, inspiration in terms of the way the dialogue is written. Um, I, I think that that comes from Lord of the Rings. Uh, th- this game was being developed as the prequel trilogy was coming out and a lot of the art direction and design work, I think, was pulled like directly from the prequels. It feels very Naboo a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a character you meet named Fran, uh, who is like a, a bunny Love woman. Fran who uh, speaks, ex- at least in the English dub, speaks with the exact intonation of Natalie Portman as Padme Amidala in, in the prequels. <laughs> like, as soon as that clicked for me, it was like, oh my God, she's just doing Padme. She's just delivering lines exactly like like Queen Amidala. Wild. But more than that, there's a moment, and I don't think it's spoiling anything, but there's a moment where you get tossed into a dungeon and you need to escape this dungeon um, with, like, a, another guy who joins your party. You break him out of jail and stuff. And, oh, Bosch. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and it is straight up the Death Star scene. Like, it is the entirety of the moment when you're in the Death Star. There's a guy who shows up and, he, and he's called the Judge and he's just Darth Vader. Uh, even the way he <laughs> speaks through his mask sounds just yeah. like Darth Vader. Um, there's even like down to the minutia of there's a scene where uh, you end up in this one room uh, that has like a giant power converter column in the middle of the room that you need to you need to like turn on. And I was I was getting um, hints at Balthier, who's one of your party mates, was like very much an Obi-Wan Kenobi meets Han Solo kind of vibe. Um, yeah, absolutely. The Han Solo uh, edge to him. Yeah. But he has his big Obi-Wan vibes. And there's a moment when he knows exactly what to do with this power converter in the middle, which is exactly the scene from Star Wars when they show up on the Death Star and Obi-Wan is like kind of shimmying his way around the power converter in the column in the middle of it. I was like, I can't believe it's like one to one. And then later you end up getting on his ship and it's just the Millennium Falcon again. Like, yeah, wild how much of this game is just Star Wars. And it's been very strange to be playing this simultaneously with Knights of the Old Republic because <laughs> I'm like, which of these games is a better Star Wars game? And the answer is less clear than I think it is every time I think about it. Because <laughs> Final Fantasy 12, incredible Star Wars game. You could just tell me that this took place in another planet somewhere in the world of Star Wars. And I would absolutely believe you just in terms yeah. of creature design, in terms of art direction, in terms of the way everybody speaks there's literally an evil empire like it is very star wars and the score too is very yes. john williams i was gonna yeah, say the, the music is very in a good way it's very much inspired by that yeah i actually maybe um aj can we play some of the the sewer music in here uh because it it is just john williams star wars like 
straight yeah. up. Um, I, I do love that this game just gets you through the sewer bit early. Like, you end up in a sewer fighting rats, like, very early on in the game. And then you just get it over with and you're moving on, which is great. Yeah. Um, but hopefully some of the sewer music is playing right now. Yeah, it's it's so Star Wars in a way that I, I wasn't expecting, but I'm absolutely loving. And I just want to play more and more and more of it. I, there's some other stuff that you know is unrelated to Star Wars that I love, like the bounty board where you get to go fight monsters and love just monster the hunter. Bounty board. Um, yeah, I, I just got my ass kicked by a, a, a cactus with a flower on its head, um, which was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Because I went and tried to fight it by myself without my party, like an idiot, and then ended up like just getting absolutely wrecked by this thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. The Final Fantasy XII, awesome. Also, like they had they added a button to the Switch release, and I think the other releases, if you buy the Zodiac Age, uh, they added a button that lets you speed up. Uh, uh, running and fighting, uh, which is awesome, which I didn't think I was going to use a whole lot, but it is actually great considering how huge this world is. Yeah. And just being able to like press a button and like speed walk my way from what from point A to point B has been great. Uh, but outside of that, like this world is gigantic, but is very densely populated. I think it says a lot, uh, especially when you compare it to other pseudo open world or actually open world games where it's like, this is the biggest world we've ever built. And then it's like, yeah, between point A and B, there's like a tree and maybe an enemy. Uh, this game, huge world, very densely populated, very impressive for the PlayStation 2 era. Absolutely. I've been yeah. I've been really blown away by this game the more I've played of it, and I really actually, I think this will be the next Final Fantasy game that I finish, just because I'm like smitten by it, and I, I never want to stop playing. Oh, I'm so excited. I, I didn't, this is the one that I didn't get very far in, because it came out at a weird time. This came out like, it was maybe one of the last PS2 games, and came out shortly before FF13, which I think got more attention upon yeah. release yeah so 13 is flashier I, it does, I get it like 13 13 is yeah. like I, I, it feels closer to a final fantasy 7 final fantasy 10 just in terms of like style and art direction and everything like i get why yeah. that game kind of got top billing but 12 is awesome 12 is cool and i think it's something that's unique to it, especially in the final fantasy series that it's very interested in separating the boundaries of playing and cutscene and fighting you know in a lot of other final fantasy games like when you're fighting you're in a different world like the screen blurs and you're fighting yeah. like a goblin on ice skates or something uh-huh. uh you know <laughs> or then or then it will cut to cutscene mode and suddenly it's like super high fidelity uh big budget scene of of someone like in a waterfall or something mm-hmm. but like here there are those big cutscenes, especially in the beginning but like most of the time, the the I mean, you have the battle system where it is very much like an MMO, where you're just running in an environment and enemies are there. So it's kind of like in that way, FF Seven Remake or Final Fantasy Fourteen, even. Yeah. Um, it's it's no coincidence this was the game that followed FF Eleven, which was the first Final Fantasy MMO, and a lot of the people in the making of Twelve were playing a lot of Eleven. So like, yeah. that kind of MMO DNA bled heavily into this game. The battle system but feels weirdly very similar to Nice the Old Republic. Also, it does. It feel we talked about this off the show, but it feels very Bioware in the sense that Dragon Age Origins, which also plays like a kind of souped-up version of Kodor, mm-hmm. uh, has a very similar system where, as you level characters up, you can program the AI to take actions, and that's something that FF Twelve like really goes heavily into with the gambits where you can, you know, give characters like, okay, even if I'm not controlling them, Vaughn is going to use a potion on himself 
when his health is less than 10%. Yeah. It eventually gets into like coding where you're like, okay, if Vaughn is X, then Y is this. And yeah. you know, it's, it's it really get, interesting. Like, really it's, it feels cool. like something that would be overwhelming, um, but is introduced in a way. Well, actually the, the, when they first mention uh, the gambit system, they don't let you actually interact with it or do anything. They're just like, you have the gambit system now. Isn't that great? And then you, the menu option isn't actually even in there, which is really goofy. <laughs> um, and then later it comes back and Balthier and Fran like actually teach you about it. And they walk you through how the gambit system works. It takes something that, that feels like uh, it, it could be overwhelming and then turns it into a really interesting and fun exercise in like kind of like base, base, base level, like AI programming. It almost feels like yeah. the developers of this game were like, uh, we don't feel like doing it. You do it yourself. Um, <laughs> but in doing it yourself, you actually have a really good time. And there are, there are stores that sell uh, different pieces of the Gambit system. So like you can buy the ability to say like, okay, my target is going to be an enemy that has, you know, 100% health. So that, like now you can say, okay, uh, anytime there's an enemy that has 100% health, I want Balthier to go steal from that enemy uh, or something. And that's just a thing you can program in now that you, that you have it. So you, you get to unlock or buy with your money that you're earning on these quests and bounties and things like that. Uh, the ability to like make that system even more in depth, which I think is a really fascinating way of doing it and, and has been really rewarding so far whenever I get this stuff to work. Uh, I, yeah. I've been having a really good time with the Gambit system. I kind of can't believe that it exists and is real. It could, I, I understand the, the criticism of this game that like it kind of feels like it's playing itself sometimes. But I think that's kind of where the Gambit system offsets it because you are the one who's programming the way that it's playing itself. So like your decisions in that system are going to either uh, make or break you in a lot of instances. Uh, so Absolutely. I feel a lot of ownership over the battle, even if I'm just like saying, OK, I want Vaughn to go attack this wolf like the way that that plays out, even though he's just attacking over and over again. That's playing out because of the way that I've organized his gambits and, and the gambits of my party, yeah. which I think is really cool. It's like uh, I remember uh, at the end of college, the house I was living in got really into magic cards for a couple months or uh -huh. like towards the end of the year. Uh, it, it started like the plague. I was like, we were reminiscing about it one day and I was like, I have my old cards. Let's play them. And then we all got really into it. Uh -huh. uh, have since magic is a very cool game. No disrespect to anyone who prioritizes it, but like, I can't, it will be the downfall of me if I get back <laughs> into magic. Uh, yeah. but anyway, I really, I really enjoyed it. And with that game, I remember two of my housemates were playing and one lost and kind of in like a, a angry groan. One of them went, oh, you got so lucky. And the other person was like, well, I made the deck. Like I created the odds, yes. you know, like, yeah. And that's kind of the same thing with FF12 where it's like, yes, it could be playing itself sometimes, but you're the one who is creating the system in which the game plays. And there's always going to be a need for like jumping in in real time. Like there's never a, uh, there's never a gambit allotment where like you always win no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're still going to have to jump in and like use a potion on someone or like yeah. use an item that like cures uh, like the blind status effect or something like th there's, there's a lot of um, minutia in the combat, even though it, it looks on the surface, like it's just kind of playing itself. Um, and honestly, yeah. like this is a common note with FF seven remake, but like that game could really use a little bit of gambits, you know, like I, I think, agree. Yeah. I, I think like I, well, I love the idea that they really want you to switch between, everyone there are a lot of fights it's like let me just like i want to play as this character for a bit longer like can i have barrett like you have the auto cure material and stuff but i i hope in the next episode they have like a little bit more of that 
Yeah. Um, cause they, you know, they introduced the idea of it with some of the materials. So I think they can add more of that in the episode too. Yeah. That um, might honestly be the way that they do it. It's just adding more material that is like automatically do this thing, like kind of creating yeah. a really, really, really low level version of the gambit system via materia. I think is a cool idea. Yeah, absolutely. And it's already kind of there. I just, you only see it like once or twice. Um, yeah. so but anyway, it is interesting going back to your point of like, which is the better Star Wars game? Because ironically, FF12 is more like Star Wars than Knights of the Old Republic is. Yeah, exa- but, that's exactly the thing. Yeah. Is like, uh, that Knights of the Old Republic just happens to take place in Star Wars, right? Like every once in a while you'll see a protocol droid or something. And it's like, oh yeah, this is a Star Wars game, huh? But like, I've only seen a lightsaber one time. And, and just because they mentioned the Sith a lot doesn't mean that like, the Sith guards look like stormtroopers or anything, you know, like it still feels a little bit Final Fantasy ish and Final Fantasy yeah. 12 feels more like Star Wars at times, especially in the delivery of the dialogue it is very concise yeah. in the way that like a Star Wars or Disney movie would be where like, you know, in the beginning, in the first scene where you're playing as Rex and Bosch is like, how old are you? And he's like, I'm 17. And he just goes so young. Yeah, like, that's a very star wars moment like you know this guy's gonna eat shit like in 20 minutes right right, (laughs) like you know rex is gone uh but i'm really excited to play more of it because i i got up to a point where like i said i played this in high school and i just kind of got to a point and moved on i don't think i ever understood the combat enough where i reached kind of like literally a wall there was a boss that like was a wall demon and i couldn't get past it oh wow okay Uh, and i and i moved on but i'm really excited because i i was so blown away by how smitten I was by this game revisiting it like a decade later. I think that Final Fantasy 9 and 12 are both like the underrated gems of the series in, in very different ways. I think like 9 is a game that is very focused on the cat and the cast and like on a tone. And it's definitely one of the funnier entries in the game. Like it has that Miyazaki tone that we discussed. Yeah. Um, but the combat is like whatever. Uh, in this game, I think the cast is a little weaker than normal. Although that being said, I remember really liking Balthier and Fran. I think once they join the team, the energy like really picks up. Because Vaughn is like Vaughn is Luke Skywalker if he wasn't the chosen one. So you just have like Yeah, the a, thing a about Vaughn that's eyes, that's really interesting yeah. is as much as much Luke Skywalker DNA as he has, he has way more agency as a character and is like way more uh, upfront about standing up for himself and like kind of uh, making his own way than I think Luke was. Luke felt very passive, like it was kind of whiny. Yeah, like there there aren't many things you can knock like Star Wars for, like the original Star Wars for. But like Luke is a very passive character. Things happen to him. He's not making a lot of choices. Vaughn is making yeah. a lot of choices. Um, and is and is flying in the face of a lot of other people's choices for him very frequently, which I think is really interesting. And like even the, even the fetch quests that you do that are like very classic Final Fantasy or very classic like uh, RPG kind of shit, where it's like, oh, go deliver this thing. He's always like, well, I'm not doing anything else. So I guess why not? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's always like he does it out of boredom because there's nothing else to do. Uh, it's it's not because that's what the story requires. He has more ambition too, because I always think like literally you can compare these two scenes and and. New Hope, you have Luke looking at the sunset, kind of like, not in despair, but in kind of like, is there anything else out there? I'm a moisture farmer. Yeah. You know, he kind of has a somber look on his face where he's like, is this all life has to offer? Right. Whereas with Vaughn, you have that kind of Aladdin street rat. And I'm not saying Vaughn is a better character than Luke Skywalker. I was saying in, in their introduction, I think you see him making the most of the situation. And then he looks to the sky to see an airship. And he's like, one day I'm going to be on one of those things. Like one yeah. day I'm going to be somewhere better i just know that i that i am 
Totally. Um, and that's a really cool, like, I think FF12 is also very interested in not having a protagonist in, in the traditional sense. I think it's much more, like, you could argue that that Bosch is the main character, who actually he was originally supposed to be. Um, oh, no way. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny. In the production of the game, and they talk about this in the Polygon article I mentioned uh, when we first talked about this game, but Bosch was supposed to be the main character, and then one of the producers was like, oh, well, like this game is kind of marketed to teenagers. Like Bosch is 26. He is quote-unquote too old to be like identified with. Bosch um, is supposed to be 26? Yeah, I mean, the Final Whoa. Fantasy age is like, if you're 26, you were a 45-year-old general with a scar on your face. Yeah. And like anyone who is like 14 is 21. It's bizarre. Uh, Very weird. Okay. But um, but yeah, Bosch is like, what, what, what's supposed to be the main character? But they thought that age aside, they thought that it would be more relatable for the audience to have... Vaughn is like a a character that's supposed to kind of represent the audience, which I can honestly understand, and it does work out pretty choice. well. Yeah, and and the um, relationship between Vaughn and and Bosch, without getting too into it, because I don't want to spoil stuff, but like that, I think that's really interesting. Um, yeah, you, you have a really you have a really cool framing device for all their different like reasons for being together, and I think both Ear and Fran are great as like a driving force. Like, they're the ones that keep the plot moving, literally. But they're yeah. the ones with the airship. Uh, so yeah, it's a great time. I, I would love to revisit again once I'm farther in. And if we want to see it to completion, that'd be cool. Cause I, there, <laughs> there was a hard drive article that was like world's biggest final fantasy fan has finished most of some of the games. Um, <laughs> <and> like <laughs> that, like hit really close to home for me. I'm like, I need to finish more of these things. So yeah, it's definitely on my, I have a backlog of games that like, I, it, it's interesting. I always, I always find this topic, um, with, with people who play games, but, like I have some friends who, like any game they get, they feel the need to like complete like 100% mm-hmm. before they move on. Um, and that's great. I, I think that's whatever you got to do, do it. Uh, but I find that I don't mind if I have a game that I'm like, okay, I got what I needed from this. That being said, I do keep a list of games that I'm like, I feel compelled to see this to the end. Yeah. And this is one of them. Um, so I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Same with me. I, I, between this and Nice the Old Republic, I feel like I have just like so much video game to play. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, obviously I've never had, I don't know. I was about to say I've never had more time to play games, but I actually don't. I'm actually more busy now than I ever have been. So finding <laughs> times to play games has been really difficult. Um, but every once in a while, like last night, uh, we had like a Zoom dinner with some friends of ours. And then afterwards, I just, I had like my first, uh, my first like, uh, I'm going to play this game all night feeling uh that i've that i've had since like i don't know i was in college you know like with, with wow. final fantasy 12 or just like all i wanted to do was just play it until like four in the morning and i absolutely could not yeah. i fell asleep at you know midnight or one but yeah i do i do find myself like just wanting to play more and more and more of this game all the time and i'm really glad that it's handheld also because now i can play it in bed yeah this is one of those switch games that, like this is so heightened by being on switch yeah um Pretty much all the Final Fantasies are. I think, like, this is definitely the best, like... I mean, because you had the Zodiac Age. It's, like, a literally enhanced version of the original game. I think the FF7 port is great, but it is very much a port. And then, like, FF9 is pretty good, but it is, I think, apparently the same port as, like, the Android version. So, like, yeah. you know, I thought it was fine, but, you know, I, I could see criticisms of it. Uh, oh, I do want to mention, actually, yeah. now that I meant to mention this earlier. Um, Knights of the Old Republic is available on Android and iOS also, and is apparently a really, oh, really? great... Yeah, apparently it's a really great port and plays very well on on mobile, which wow. is kind of interesting. So uh, worth mentioning that uh, they're also not on Switch, which is interesting. I'm wondering if that's going to happen at some point. Uh, there were yeah. rumors that so there were there were some rumors that EA is going to be releasing like an HD 
version of something this year. And and the two sides of that coin are Nice the Old Republic 1 and 2, like kind of redone uh, a little bit or just like maybe remastered, not remade, not like Final Fantasy 7, but like remastered, just like HD textures, like maybe like, you know, beef some stuff up or that it'll be the Mass Effect trilogy. Um, and over the course of the past couple of weeks, it, it seems more and more like it's going to be Mass Effect which is exciting. So talking about playing Mass Effect 1 sometime Ugh. soon, like if that comes out, if that if that trilogy is released this year, like that'll absolutely be a thing that you and I play and talk about. No choice. Yeah, that that is uh easily one of my favorite games, yeah. favorite trilogies. I think uh all I need honestly, like it would be cool to have a souped up version of them because they're, you know, they're Mass Effect 3 came out I think in 2012. So it's been a while since all of them. Yeah. And I think all I want, though, is like, I mean, I would love souped up graphics or whatever, but having all three in one place with all the DLC is mm-hmm. like really all I want. Yeah. Um, so if it's if, if it's just that, I'll, I'll be over the moon. What is the DLC um, aspect of things that you want? Oh, man. Well, so there's a lot. Um, I never really played the first game's DLC, uh, but in Mass Effect 2, um, there are three... Uh, DLC that I know off the top of my head. One is called Lair of the Shadow Broker, which is like hands down a fan favorite, the best one, and maybe the best example of like what DLC should be, honestly. Oh, because so is it like story editions and stuff? Yes. Okay. So cool. uh, nice. Lair of the Shadow Broker is Liara, who is in the first game, and the third game is a major character. Yeah. Doesn't really show up much for two, and a lot of people were like, "What the fuck?" Liara was like my love interest in the first game. Why isn't she in this one? Mm-hmm. So. They not only did they add her in in the DLC for that mission, but they added this whole subplot with her becoming the shadow broker and like, cool. which is basically like the you know like information like you know like people go to her to find dirt on other people yeah. essentially. Cool. Um, that rules. It's a really cool mission, and the other two pieces of DLC added two new characters to the cast. So like. One was this like ex mercenary named Zaid, and one was like a thief named Kasumi. The third game's DLC is great. It got some heat in the beginning because there was, and I I still stand by this. Uh, there was sort of day one DLC with a character named Javik, who like clearly was intended to be part of the main game, and EA was kind of like five dollars, please. Um, Weird, yeah. Which is kind of a bummer, but in the wake of like the whole ending fiasco Bioware went out of their way to like be cool and they didn't have to and probably shouldn't have but they did uh and they released the extended cut to the ending which i thought was perfect and they also released two pieces of dlc one was leviathan which really was cool and filled in like a lot of for people who were like really into finding plot holes leviathan was like all plot holes filled good night Wow. Uh, yeah. And then the second DLC was called Citadel, which was my favorite, which was like just kind of what everyone wanted. It was like a big fanfic feeling, but like well done last hurrah with all the characters. So you mm-hmm. just like partied with the whole cast. Cool. And like it just felt like a really nice way to say goodbye to like these characters people love so much. Because that's like I think not to touch on the ending controversy, but really for me, what was a bummer in the original ending was like I didn't feel like I got to say goodbye. I didn't care about like factual inaccuracy or like Turian digestive systems like I never thought about any of that stuff I was like well that felt like incomplete yeah um, right, right, right. and between the extended cut and the DLC I was like they have more than made up for it and like didn't have to and and cool. like having all that in one place to play the game as the same shepherd from one to two to three with all that stuff would be like so unreal it'd be so cool yeah yeah that's kind of what I'm most interested in I think because they are all available on Game Pass, but I kind of don't want to do that if if there's a potential HD remake in the in the works. Yeah, 
That makes sense. Sorry, I should say yeah, remaster. Think, they, those two words are very similar, but have very different <laughs> connotations when you're talking about video games. Yeah. One is hard to muscle through, but does such a good job of like introducing that world and those characters. And like the best thing about the series is jumping from one to two. Like starting two with your save file from one is like so cool. Yeah. Um, and two is easily the best one. Yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm very excited for that to be on the horizon. Uh, cause man, if you like seeing me and not chill, that is the series <laughs> to talk about. Yeah. I'm excited to see if, and when that gets announced, um, and how also, um, I don't, I don't know how much we've talked about Jeff Keighley's, uh, summer games fest that's happening right now, but between May and August, uh, he's like, he's kind of a shadow broker for, uh, for like what were going to be <laughs> E3 events at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like E3 was going to happen and then it got canceled for obvious reasons. So now all of those events have mostly gone digital and they're all happening kind of, uh, throughout the next couple months. Like Xbox has already had, uh, one of their events, actually maybe even two at this point, they had an inside Xbox, I think last month and another one this month, which, uh, I'm going to talk about a little bit more next week, I think. But, uh, but yeah, I'm wondering, like, is EA going to have their own digital event or is that going to get wrapped up into some other stuff? I don't know. Very interested to see, like, what what the landscape of games announcements looks like over the next couple of months. Yeah. I think. And I think, too, like with Bioware and, and with like not being confirmed that this is the Mass Effect thing, I think they're in such a rough state right now that like re-releasing their biggest hit is probably like the move. You know, yeah, like, I think so too. that's the move yeah. to like get them back on their feet. If they, um, if they release the Mass Effect trilogy and it's like done well and done right and like I, I think does a does service to the source material and like makes the fans happy, I think that'll be like really good for both Bioware and EA as a company just in terms of like yeah. public opinion. And, you know, they're, I know they're working on the new Dragon Age, which is also like, I think that that's sort of their like make or break moment, unfortunately. Yeah, um, I think so too. But I mean, Mass, Dragon Age oddly has like a better track record as a series than yeah, Mass true. Effect. Uh, I mean, people were people were divide, divided on two, which I haven't played. But like, I think in the years since have warmed up to it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And Inquisition was like really great game that is if you're going to play one dragon age game to start pick up that one and then if you like it play origins because origins is like easily i think one of the best bioware games out there yeah anyway could go on and on yeah the devil out of it (laughs) cool uh i I guess it's probably time for us to wrap up then so the thing about garris is that he starts off as a renegade but it's up to you to determine how he falls thanks everybody for uh listening to this oh you're you, you actually stopped. Uh, thanks, everybody who listens to the show. <laughs> well, I just got a flashback of every middle school class. Like, oh, Steven's not, you know, screaming today. Okay, cool. uh, yeah, th- actually, for, for real, though, thank you to everybody who listens to the show. Um, I, I, we say it every week, but it really does mean a lot. I think, like, going back and adding all of the art to Instagram uh, the other day, just, like, really, really, really uh, kind of opened my eyes to, like, both how long we've been doing this and, like, where we started and where we are now. Um, it it really yeah. does mean a lot that people have, have stuck around and have like kind of, I don't know, put the, put the show. Uh, I don't know how to put this. AJ, AJ helped me with this edit. <laughs> um, I don't know. It just, it just, it, it's really cool that, that people have, have stuck around and have been kind of championing the show uh, since it launched and have been sharing it with other people. It's, it's, it's really nice. It's helped us grow too. I think like it's, it's definitely a, a give and take process where I think we wouldn't have, Grown in the direction we did without the like positive reinforcement we received early on. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's 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 really it's really great. Um, I'm feeling very 
emotional and nostalgic about the podcast Aww. that I'm currently recording, which is weird. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, th- thanks everybody who listens to the show. Uh, it, the best way to help it grow is to just share it with other people. So if you feel like doing that, that'd be cool. Um, you can also rate it on iTunes um, out of five stars. Five stars preferred on our end. That'd be very nice. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> I'm more of a three star fan of my <laughs> Animal Crossing Island. We want to be the, the worst reviewed video games podcast <laughs> on Apple Podcasts. Um, <laughs> could you imagine? Anyway, uh, yeah, this one so stinks. you can head over to Apple Podcasts and write a review. That'd be really cool. Um, we have a Twitter account and an Instagram account. Uh, both of them are at Into the Cast, which is very cool. We have a Twitch account at Into the Cast. Look out for uh, announcements uh, regarding streams. I think we're going to, as Steven said, um, maybe like uh, we're committing right now to like maybe once a month, but maybe even biweekly or, or more uh, frequent than that if, if we can find the time doing more streams. Uh, so please let us know what game you want us to play if there are any out there that uh, really jump out at you. Oh, I have an idea. I'm going to talk <gasps> talk to you about it off the show. Um, I'm excited. Anyway, uh, so there's that. That's also Into the Cast. Uh, we have a Patreon that's at Into the Cast as well. You can go to patreon.com slash Into the Cast to, uh, to donate to the show. Thank you to everybody who's done that so far, including... Oh, wow. This is the first time I've ever had to increase the amount of patrons I can see on one page. Holy shit. Oh, wow. Whoa. Thank you. Whoa. Thank you, the city of Boise. Uh, thank you, most of the West Coast. <laughs> thank you, Canada. Man, okay. Uh, thank you to everybody who backs the show, including Akira, Alex, Andrew D, Andrew D, Ariel, Bede, Benjamin D, Benjamin W, Bolt, Brendan, Brett, Catherine, Chris, Christopher, Craig. I just want to mention it's a different Brendan than me. I'm not donating to uh, this podcast. They do. Their name is spelled the same way as mine, though. It's it's uh, uh, mystical. It's a Thank you very thing. much to Stephen Hilger, uh, Stefan Hilger, uh, <laughs> Stefan. Yeah, um, I, I just I think it's me. Shout out to Brendan, who spells their name the same way as me. Uh, I wonder if uh, other people call them Brendan a lot the same way people do with me. Anyway, uh, where was I? Chris, Christopher, Craig, uh, David, Dennis, Elliot, Enrique, Hilton, Inez, Jason, Jeff, Joeri, Josh, Cameron, Connor, Kieran, Kim, Kyle, Mark, uh, Mark H, Mark Sell, Marianne, Matt, Melly Muffin Pie, Micah, Min, Murray, Naomi, No Name, Pablo, Pat, Philip, Robert, Slu, Peasy, Scout, uh, Sebastian, Shelley, Skin Tight Alloy, Trevor, and William. Uh, thank you all so much for backing the show. Thank you. Uh, we mentioned it every episode uh, since quarantine started, and we'll mention it again. If backing the show puts you in any kind of financial risk at all, please do not back the podcast. But thank you to everybody who's done that. Um, yeah, cool. Is there anything else? Do we have other stuff? Sick. That's it. Uh, oh, wow. Oh, hey, we have a YouTube. My voice. That's in the show notes. YouTube. Uh, if we get 100 subscribers, we can make that YouTube.com slash into the cast. So I guess uh, it would it would help if you subscribed to it. That'd be very nice of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we got an email address if you want to reach us there, uh, into the other podcast at gmail.com. And, should we change um, that also? Should, I, we, should we get into the cast at gmail? I'll see if I can find it. I'll see if it's available. I, I like it as like the one like odd duckling of the bunch. Yeah. Like everything. Is it's just we've gotten like three emails email. ever, and I wonder if that's because of the podcast. I mean, the, <laughs> the email address is so long and arduous. Yeah. 
Um, that is that is anyway. It's into the Aether podcast at gmail.com Please send us an email address if um, if typing in that long email hurt you um, in some way. If, if your hands hurt after that, oh, we also have a Discord. I can't believe I didn't mention this. Uh, we have a Discord. It's uh, bit.ly/twgdiscord, or you can just go to the worst garbage online uh, and find a link there. Um, the Discord's amazing, really great. There's there's yeah. very 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 active community of very cool people. Highly recommend. I, I spend a lot of time the discord uh as does i think everyone involved in the network in general uh we also have a medium uh site yes it's, uh, also enter the cast um that is where originally our patreon uh our patrons on patreon got the newsletter as like the one kind of paywalled piece of content but now it's up for everybody so past things we've written and and we've had guest writers and artists as well a lot of cool stuff there, and that will be kind of updated periodically, kind of in lieu, like uh, streaming on Twitch and posting on the medium are the two things we're like trying to work out a more dedicated schedule for. But for now, expect like around monthly for both. Um, I think with streaming, we'll do like whenever we feel like it, plus a dedicated like monthly thing with both of us. Yeah. With medium, I think it's whenever we have like uh, an idea that excites us or something we want to explore that is probably more better explored off the show. If we have someone reach out to us or an artist we want to feel Feature, that will be how that's updated so keep an eye on both but uh we'll we'll work on getting that more consistent yeah cool i'm gonna go make gnocchi for lunch i'm gonna eat orzo and olives and veggies <laughs> okay <laughs> what else do you want from me okay i don't i don't think anything else i think that's all i want from you steven that's it uh we got some orzo you could find it at my kitchen in chicago uh <laughs> if you prefer bigger pastas fuck off <laughs> wow uh yeah well, I guess it's a rice pasta hybrid. All right, let's get let's end this, please. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for Bye. listening. Thank you. Good night.